set in a parallel 1940s where supernatural terrors are real, This is Mysteries and Madness, a collaboratively created fiction between two players using Pelegrin Press's gumshoe one-to-one system. I am Dave Colmine. I'm the director. I know who's done it, and I portray the places, people, and entities in our story. And I'm Todd Sullivan. I play Jack Shepard, a former boozy news reporter, now a boozy private investigator, who stumbles onto the darkness that dwells just under the surface of the city. This is Mysteries and Madness, The Case Files of Jack Shepard, Case One, The Vanishing Socialite, Chapter Two. Yesterday in the life of Jack Shepard, private investigator. Case one, The Vanishing Socialite. Had my first big case today when a woman named Margaret Deacon came in asking that I look into the disappearance and mysterious reappearance of her sister, Helen. She provided only a few leads at that time, a man named Marshall Daly, who she believed was seeing her husband, Helen, as well as a mention of something called the Argent Light. Now that name would come up again when I went to visit Marshall Daly, who was a screenwriter. Our initial meeting was a bit heated. We traded fists rather than handshakes, but he eventually saw the benefit of chatting with me. In talking to him, He mentioned a woman named Claire Neville, who runs what seems to be called the Order of the Argent Light. He told me that Helen had suggested that he attend a meeting with her. Mr. Daly also informed me about a high-value $100 poker chip he had found in Helen's possession. The poker chip belonged to a casino called Alegria. I was familiar with the location from my past interaction with the owner, Whitey Alexander, who, as far as mobsters go, is a pretty okay guy. I headed to the Alegria to chat with Whitey. He informed me that Helen was his girl. So now we've got two gentlemen who are involved with Ms. Helen Deacon. He was also familiar with the Order of the Argent Light. He mentioned that black magic ceremonies are said to be held under the Hollywood sign on a full moon. This seems like something worth uh, investigating further. It also seems that Whitey has, if not wiped out, then at least stopped actively collecting on Helen's father's gambling debts. Given that that debt is in the four figures, that seems a significant thing and probably also worth looking into. Whitey's suspicion is that Helen's sister, Margaret Deacon, is somehow involved in Helen's disappearance. He called her a witch on numerous occasions, so I may need to look into her as well. Thinking that my investigative day was at an end, I prepared to go home and instead stumbled upon an exploding car in the parking lot. Though my dodge of the explosion was maybe not as cool as it could have been, I did manage to catch what looked like a couple of men responsible for the bomb in a car. 
As they sped away, I was able to follow them to the location of the A.M. Hilliers Publishing Company. The A.M. Hilliers Publishing Company was mentioned by Whitey Alexander as a front for another mob family. So it seems like there is a mob war about to break out between Whitey and the Alegria and whatever's going on in A.M. Hilliers. And I have no idea how any of that connects to Helen's disappearance. But I guess I'm going to have to find out. So, Jack, you had a tumultuous evening. I had a, uh, a long day and a chaotic evening, yes. Yeah, explosions, car chases, uh, too much whiskey. Uh, and I think I'm probably probably waking up a little bit later in the morning under the circumstances, which is my, my general go-to way of waking up. So we had a, a challenge at the end of last night mm-hmm. to just see how much Jack was going to drink and whether or not he would awake, also feeling self-conscious about the... The embarrassing manner with which he leapt out of the way of the exploding vehicle outside the Alegria last night, and he tied one on. But on the plus side, I am no longer embarrassed by my my awkward jump from the explosion because I came to terms with the fact that there is no good way of jumping from an explosion. <laughs> <laughs> so in in a questionable move, we have created game mechanics for drinking away your problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we wake up late the following morning, Jack, where uh, I also assume you pour yourself an, uh, some coffee, mm-hmm. some whiskey in it mm-hmm. to try to right this boat. Start the day properly, yep. Also, what are you going to wear today? Because you burnt up your suit yesterday and aren't known to be all that affluent. <laughs> yeah, so I imagine I must have a secondary suit. Maybe not my best suit, but my, my backup suit. What's Jack's first act of business? Well, I'm going to drink my coffee and have a look at the newspapers. I'm assuming uh, there probably isn't anything super important or relevant to the story in the newspapers, but I just feel like that's sort of my morning routine anyway. Read the newspaper, drink my coffee. Uh, Once I'm through that, I want to reach out to an old acquaintance of mine, a man named Alfred Kellum, who is a professor at, uh, I believe, UCLA? Correct. Um, I went to UCLA when I was studying for journalism, and he was one of my instructors, and has remained a contact over the years. And one of the reasons I want to talk to him is he's he's knowledgeable in the area of theology, and I want to ask him if he knows anything about the Order of the Argent Light that I've been hearing about from a couple of people yesterday. All right, let's ring him up. Alfred Callham. Alfred, Jack Shepard calling. How are you today? Jack, Jack, good to hear from you. Good to be heard from. Uh, have you got a couple of minutes? Yeah, I'm between classes. I got a moment for you. Excellent. Um, I was wondering, I'm, I'm doing an investigation, and the name of maybe a church, maybe a cult has come up a few times, and I'm wondering if you've heard of it. Its name is the Order of the Argent Light. Hmm. 
Well, it's not ancient. It doesn't have an established background. But I have heard word of it as well. I believe it's something new sprouting up here in L.A. What you've heard is that it originated in L.A.? It's not in any of the textbooks. It's not something from the ancient past. Although, I have heard students mention it. It has been mentioned during one of my lectures, uh, inquired about by a student. What I've been able to gather locally is that there seems to be a groundswell movement here in L.A. I also heard that it was maybe being organized or run by a woman named Claire Neville. Are you familiar with her at all? I don't know the name Claire Neville. I did hear that they're running out of a bungalow down on Loma Linda Ave. Loma Linda Ave. Yes. From the scant information I've received from one of my students, it seems to revolve around some dark mythos. Secret masters that rule the world. Darker entities who conspire with great ancient deities with names like Yeg and Shubnagareth. I don't know much about these sources, but they do show up in old texts. Well, uh, Alfred, that sounds a little bit kooky, don't you think? Well, when you study history the way I have, there is a lot of kooky. Thank you for your time, Alfred. I think I have everything I need from you for the moment. Enjoy your classes today. No problem, Jack. Call anytime and drop by the campus someday for lunch. I certainly will. Ciao. Ciao. I see what you did there. Drop by for lunch. Ciao. Oh! <laughs> I'm not that good. <laughs> I'm not that smart. <laughs> I, I don't even understand most of the words in this shit. Uh, okay, so uh, having spoken to him, I uh, feel a little bit more on the ball about the Argent Light and at least have some lead to follow up there. I would now like to call Margaret Deacon. And the only reason I'm calling yeah. is because, like, I would go directly to her house, except we established yesterday that she didn't give me her address. Deacon residence. Hi, is this Margaret Deacon? Uh, no, I'll get her. One moment, please. Margaret speaking. Hi, Margaret. It is Jack Shepard calling. How are you today? I'm fine, considering the circumstances. How can I help Jack? Well, I was wondering if I might have uh, the ability to come visit you today. I've dug up some things that I wanted to ask you about. I will be home for the afternoon. You could drop by. Is this not something we could just quickly discuss over the phone? I am busy. Uh, I would rather discuss it in person if that's possible. So I appreciate uh, your openness to my dropping by in the afternoon. Uh, I will see you then. I need your address, please. She gives the address to a manor in a swanky area of L.A., and tells you that she will be home after 3 p.m. Excellent. All right. It is late morning. What else would you like to accomplish today? Well, now that you mention it, because I was already thinking about what I was going to do if Margaret had no info for me. Now I think I'm going to go and see if I can park someplace near um, the H.M. Hillier's Publishing Company location out of the way so they don't see me. But just sort of peep on what's going on there for a bit until it's time to go see Margaret. But because of what went down last night with the, the bombing and everything else, I think I'm going to bring my gun with me just to be on the safe side. Sounds good. Where is that gun concealed? Let's put that in the glove box. As you drive towards the A.M. Hilliers Publishing Company that you were 
briefly at last night. You need to make a sense trouble check with an advance of five plus. Sense trouble, you have two. Uh, okay. First die. You have a one. A second die of three. Four total. Four total is a hold. I can use my self-possessed for a plus two bonus on any other general slash mental test. If it's cool or stability, I gain an extra die, but I can also gain a plus two on any other general or mental test. Done. Okay. So that's four plus two. Yeah. Spending one of your two self-possessed and creating a score of six, which accomplishes the advance of five plus. You can see that you're being tailed. What would you like to do? Am I able to lose him and get around behind him and maybe tail him? Yeah, you could shadow that the person tailing you. Okay, let's try that then. It is a driving test, a driving challenge. Okay. With an advance of three plus. Okay, my driving is one. Three. All right, so you notice that a car is chasing you and you slyly pull off to the side and allow it to pass and then pull in behind it. The car turns into an alley and you are able to intercept it and box it in. Awesome. A tall, slender man gets angrily out of his vehicle. What is this all about? Oh, I just noticed that you were trying to get friendly with me on the road back there. I thought we might want to introduce ourselves face to face. Why were you tailing me? I saw you speaking with Marshal Daly. He belongs to a communist cell. And I was following you in case you turned out to be a commie too. Does he seem to be honest? With assess honesty, you can tell that this man is weaving in and out of the truth. I can assure you that I am no commie. And in fact, I don't even really care for Marshall Daly all that much. He took a poke at me when I tried to shake his hand. Kind of a jerk, you ask me. What do you know about him? Well, I'm researching a piece on red subversion of the Hollywood movie industry. I don't have a client for it yet, but when I put it all together, the papers in town will be begging to print it. Marshall Daly is somehow mixed up with a crooked accountant through some skirt named Helen Deacon. I'm not entirely certain how it all pieces together, but this man, this accountant, Phil Block, he works at a rug joint, which is a fancy name for casino, called the Alegria. Now this Phil Block, he's a rough customer. If you talk to him, you best go in with your gun out. Uh, sorry, how was Marshall Daly associated with this Phil Block? I'm not entirely certain. I just know that Daly and Block are somehow in cahoots. Okay, all right. I urge you, ensure you see Block with your gun out. He is a dangerous customer. I appreciate your honesty and I appreciate that tip. Listen, I might be able to help you out. I'm listening. Uh, I used to actually work at the Los Angeles Daily Times, and I might be able to get you connected with the editor there to get your story in print. I'd need to see your story kind of in progress to sort of know where, what sort of tweaks you might need to do to get it up to snuff for the paper, but I'd be happy to do that for you. Ah, well, I appreciate your generosity, but I will continue working as a freelance reporter. Excellent. And choose to not share my story with anybody. I understand that. Uh, here is my card in case you change your mind. You hand him a slightly beat up, curled edged yeah, business card. Fair, yeah. 
Oh, uh, yes, thank you. I will, I will keep this for my records. I warn you once again, Phil Block. Gun out, got it. A Wiedersehen. Au revoir. Uh, I will return to my car and continue on as planned, which is to go to the H or sorry AM Hillier's location, park a safe distance away, and snoop on the goings-ons. So you arrive at the AM Hillier's Publishing Company. It's a large brick building with a couple of loading docks. It's fairly quiet. There's not a lot of people loitering around. It doesn't appear to be a nefarious place. Um, for all intents and purposes, from the outside, it looks like a publishing company. Due to your insights, as someone who's very streetwise, you know that Bud Barron is the man who's running this publication company crookedly. I'll pull up a little bit off to the side and sort of see if I can approach somewhat stealthily and... Have a look around. Not not like crouch down or anything, but just casual, trying not to be noticed, without looking like I'm trying not to be noticed. A sign posted by the door says, wholesale business, closed to the public. There's no receptionist or other gatekeeper awaiting by the door. There is a large window off to the left of the main entrance. You can look through that window and just see high shelves with narrow pathways, uh, supporting the weight of boxes of magazines and paperbacks and bound stacks of newspapers. There's the odd employee walking around picking orders. That's about it. Looks like a publishing company. Okay. Um, go around the corner of the building, see what's on the other side. You come around the corner and find one gentleman leaned up against an ajar door smoking a cigarette. You immediately identify him as one of the two bombers, one of the two men that were inside the car that pulled away last night from the Alegria. Interesting. He looks at you and, and just gives a slight nod, but he does stiffen a little. Seems like he's maybe waiting to see what your next move is. He doesn't give any indication that he recognizes you. Okay, well, that's a good thing. He shifts his weight again and is now standing straight up and down and looks at you and goes, all right, buddy, get off the property. No loitering allowed. And he goes to lead you off of the property. He's now walking towards you. Well, then I'll ask this guy if Bud Barron is available to chat. Bud might be here. Who are you? I'm a private investigator working on a case that you might know something about. Uh, that causes him to pull back the one side of his trench coat and reveal the gun that he's keeping. He has his hand on his gun. He has not pulled it on you yet. He's just holding and touching the gun. And he goes, sounds like you need to talk to Bud. Follow me. That's what I was hoping for. So you head into the building, and near the back of the building, you go up a set of steel stairs to an office with glass windows overlooking the warehouse. You walk into the office with a very smooth-looking man sitting at the desk, kind of wiry, tall. He's got a pencil mustache, and he addresses the man who brought you in. Hey, Johnny, what do you brought me? Uh, this guy said he wanted to see you. I apologize for my employees' over-eagerness. We've had a number of break-ins lately. So I think it's just kids looking to pinch fitness magazines. How can I help you? Bud, I'm Jack Shepard, private investigator. Uh, I'm working on a case that I was hoping you might be able to help me with. 
I'm not sure how I can help. I'm in the periodical distributions. I am looking into the disappearance of Helen Deacon. Do you know anything about her? Yeah, I've heard that name before. What business is it of yours? I just want to reassure you that I have no interest in what's going on here. I have no interest in, in your business. I am just trying to find out what happened. Uh, and if you can help me out, I will be very appreciative. I've been tasked by her family, particularly her sister, to look into her disappearance and mysterious reappearance. And so I'm hoping to be able to talk to anyone who knew her or associated with her uh, in, the, in, you know, in the hours before that disappearance. Yeah, I ran into the deacon woman one time. And what can you tell me about that encounter? I was over at the Alegria. My boss trying to push on Whitey and shift his protection money from the system to the East Coast. Then this deacon broad, Whitey's twist, pulls me aside right in the middle of the casino floor. Full view of everyone. Thankfully, nobody saw. She told me she had a way to snatch the casino away from Whitey, with Guy McAfee's permission. Why not better than to mess with another connected guy's woman? She was making eyes at me like I figure she makes at every man. So I pushed her off on Mickey. Mickey Cohen, my boss's bodyguard. Do you have any idea why she'd tell you how you could get in on the casino? Not a clue, and not my business. I just felt like it was a gift-wrapped present. Where could I find Mickey Cohen if I wanted to talk to him? Mickey seems to have been laying low. You could probably find him in one of the dyes, one of those old prohibition bars underground. Is there anything else about that encounter with Helen Deacon that you can think of that might be important to the case I'm working on? That woman seemed like trouble. She was living fast, real fast, and that kind of fast... Tends to get you driven off the road awful quick. I hear she turned back up with amnesia. None of my business, but that's what happens to people who live in the fast lane. It is sometimes, isn't it? All right, uh, thank you for your time, Mr. Barron. No problem, Jack. I assume I won't be seeing you around here again. Uh, likely not. I think that likely should turn into a definitely. Later, Jack. Later. You are escorted out of the warehouse yep. by the man who thankfully does not recognize you from the night yeah, before. Yeah, no kidding. What do you do next? Well, let me go and see if I can find that bungalow on Loma Linda Avenue that Alfred Kellum told me about. So you head down to Loma Linda Avenue in Hollywood and ask locals using your streetwise ability if there's a joint, a home in the neighborhood kind of known for its spiritualism. And several people lead you to the same address. I'll approach the house a bit cautiously, but approach nonetheless. Is there anything odd sort of in the yard or anything odd about it from the outside? Nothing unusual about the home. The front door is red. And in the center of the front door is a silver sun, like a half a sun, like a, like a sunset or a, a sunrise. And uh, it's silver. Okay. Um, I'll go up to the door and knock on the door or ring the bell. You knock on the door and the door opens. A confident woman who armors herself in middle-aged glamour stands in front of you. Yes, how may I help you? Hi, my name is Jack Shepard. I am a private investigator looking into the disappearance and reappearance of Helen Deacon. I'm, I'm looking for uh, someone involved with uh, the Order of the Argent Light and was told this might be 
that location. Yes, you have found your way here. I am Clara Neville. I run this sanctuary, the Order of the Argent Light. Ms. Neville, it's a pleasure. Uh, it's my understanding that Helen was at least talking about the Order of the Argent Light before her disappearance. Do you know Helen Deacon? Yes, yes. Helen joined us about two years ago. She was one of our disciples. I'm sorry to hear she's reached an ill fate. A dark cloud hung over her the last time I saw her. What do you mean by that? I detected a spoor of ancient, gnawing evil, like something she maybe had walked over unsuspectingly. I felt a vision of a old, tall, rusted monument. Was it anything you had ever seen around the city? My visions are as much a feeling as anything else. I don't have any greater insight into what they mean. And what about you, sir? Are you open to the awareness of the Argent Light? I'm not entirely sure what that means. Our world is run by secret masters, and the violence and confusion of the modern world arises from the actions of dark races who conspire against us with ancient deities. Forces like alcoholism and poverty. Wouldn't you like to be free of your demons? Hmm, I think I generally prefer the demons I know versus the ones I don't. Do you remember the last time you saw Helen? I last saw her about seven weeks ago. That's when I offered to conduct a protective rite for her. Naturally, it would be very expensive to find the supplies. She said she would, but she never came back. Sadly, I believe her sister was far too closed-minded and controlled the purse strings. She was a supporter for quite a while. There are great workings to be done to forestall disaster in a darkening world. It's quite unfortunate. Mm, I'm sure it is. Well, Ms. Neville, thank you for your help. I think I have everything I need for the moment. I appreciate your assistance. The foyer you're standing in also appears to be a small shop selling various trinkets and uh, spiritual crystals and things of the like. You notice that there's one author prominently displayed in the small bookshop and that all of the copies are signed. This author is William Dudley Pelly. Before I go, Ms. Neville, I noticed... Uh, the, the works of this William Pelly prominently displayed here. Can you tell me a little bit about him? Mr. Pelly is one of the secret masters. He wrote of his near-death experience in his book, writing about how he entered the presence of God, and it bestowed mystical powers upon him, laid out as a plan to combat the dark forces. In fact, it was Nodens that he met. Hmm, Nodens. Nodens is one of the elder gods of journeys and endeavors. He appears as an elderly man with white hair and a beard. He hunts down evil creatures in the dreamlands and hunts the servants of the great old ones, beings from further away. You said he hunts the servants of the great old ones? Interesting. He is served by his own night gaunts and hunts the outer gods, the cosmic deities that seek to cause violence and confusion in our world. 
I must beg you, Jack, convince Margaret to let me see Helen. She has suffered a mystical injury and cannot be healed by the doctrines of blind science. I can heal her, but her sister will not let me see her. Well, I am seeing Margaret this afternoon. Um, I don't know how much pull I have, but I'll, I'll see what I can do. Thank you, Jack. That was weird. All right, I am going to head to see Margaret Deacon now. All right, so you pull up to the drive of a large three-story neoclassical structure in Beverly Hills. Neoclassical means it has a Greek palatial style to it with the big white columns out front. A butler greets you stiffly at the door. Yes. Uh, I'm here to see Margaret Deacon, please. So, we are in the capacious foyer of this neoclassical structure. And capacious means having a lot of space inside. Roomy. Would also, roomy. roomy would also do the trick, Cthulhu Confidential. Okay. It's large. Yeah. You're in a large foyer. Okay. Margaret greets you in the foyer a few minutes later. <laughs> yes, Jack. Ms. Deacon, what a capacious <laughs> foyer you have. Don't you love the neoclassical design? <laughs> I absolutely love it. Um, thank you for seeing me. Yes, how can I help? Did you know about your sister's connection with Whitey Alexander and the... Alegria Casino. With Helen? No. Father had ran out quite the debt with the Alegria, but I had paid that off about six months ago. I warned him that he'd be responsible for any further trouble he got himself in. You know, it's not the responsibility of our shareholders to become a bottomless piggy bank for Roscoe's excesses. This is the first I've heard of Helen being involved. I've also heard that his debt is in the... Uh... The four figures at the moment. Are you aware of that? I mean, when he told me he'd keep gambling amounts he could afford, I admit it sounded unlikely, but I was choosing to believe it in order to focus on the firm's affairs. You know, it's not easy to make money like in the crazy days of the teens and 20s. I hear you. Have you ever heard the name Claire Neville? Yes, I've heard of her in her silly order. She was fleecing my sister, so I cut her off six months ago. How did your sister feel about that? Upset, of course, but someone in this family needed to rein in the spending. Between her and father, it was out of control. Helen had more than her share of our family's wild streak. I can't believe father went into this debt. Roscoe? Roscoe, get in here now! You hear a shuffling and a holler from a ways off. Yeah, coming! In walks to the foyer a portly, balding man who is a jolly, rib-nudging rascal of a way about him. <laughs> Those great descriptions. Buttercup, what's with all the yelling? Is it true that you've gone back into massive debt with Whitey Alexander? I, 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 I didn't mean for it to get out of control. I mean, I was just having some fun, Buttercup. 
Who's this guy? Hi, uh, Jack Shepard. I'm a private investigator who your daughter here has hired to look into the disappearance and reappearance of your other daughter. Have you looked into Marshall Daly? I hear he was involved in some strange going-ons in Mexico. Uh, I have, I have looked into Marshall Daly. I have not heard anything about Mexico. How about those crazy Argyle star people who hypnotized her? I think they did it to embezzle our money. Uh, I've talked to them too. Well, I think my work here is done. Bye. And Roscoe speed walks out of the room to the flustered dismay of Margaret. Uh, Roscoe, I do just have a couple of questions, if you would. He kind of stutters, stops, spins on his heel, and sheepishly walks back towards you, not making eye contact with his daughter, Margaret. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now... Roscoe, just so you know, no judgment from me. I totally understand a man and his vices. I've I've visited the casino a, a good number of times myself. I think I saw you there last night. Were you there last night? Yes, I was there too. I was finally making some of that money back at the craps table. Margaret, you don't need to worry. I'm going to go double or nothing, and I'm going to be out of this debt in no time at all. Margaret just rolls her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> if steam could flow out of her ears, it would be. So... Roscoe, had you been bringing Helen to the casino with you? Due to the pressure of this situation that you've created and Margaret glaring at him, Roscoe breaks down and admits to what's been going on. Yeah, I, I admit, yes, I admit to what Helen's been doing since Buttercup here cut me off. I got right back into debt with Whitey Alexander. I've been ashamed and afraid. I'm not entirely certain how I'm going to get out of this debt. I just keep hoping I'll win big at Whitey's tables, I suppose. Should learn to count cards. It'll help. I am truly embarrassed of what my daughter did to help keep me breathing. Now can I go? I need a drink. Margaret turns and fully slaps her father on the face and turns back to you, wringing her hand. Well, hasn't this turned into quite the mess? And we're still no closer to understanding what happened to Helen. You're right about that. Well, we're closer to something. My wits end as she glares at the back of her father's head as he <laughs> slimps off, massaging his cheek. Looking for the nearest snifter of brandy. Yeah, I would too. Um, before I leave, Ms. Deacon, I did want to mention that when I visited Claire Neville, she did mention a desire to come by and heal your sister or something. Given your sister's condition, it might be worth considering. I, I don't believe that's a good idea. I wonder if Neville's mystical hoodoo isn't somehow to blame for my sister's condition. Well, if it was... Maybe she'd be the person to make it better. Margaret is intrigued by this idea, and you are reassuring her. I will just ask that you spend one of your pushes. Sure. To create this opportunity. Let's do that. So with a reassurance push spent, our player Todd now has one left, having started with four at the beginning. Yep. And Margaret acquiesces. If you feel that it'll lead us to the answers I so desperately want, 
and you have no other recourse, then I guess I will allow it. But just know this will be the only time I allow you to see Helen. And I hope we find the results we need. Ooh. It's getting to be the dinner hour. Can we arrange this for tomorrow? Yeah, certainly. And with that, you hear the front door of the house creak open and turn to see their stuffy butler standing there next to the open doorway. Very subtle. Uh, I, I'll arrange a time with Margaret for the next day. Um, also arrange with whether I am reaching out to Claire Neville or whether Margaret Deacon's going to reach out to Claire Neville. So what is your next step from the Deacon's residence? Um, so I guess it's not quite late enough to head to the, um, the bars yet. So I'm going to head back to the office and, uh, and arrange for Claire Neville to visit Helen Deacon the next day. So I'll give Claire Neville a call. And so you call Claire Neville to discuss her seeing Helen the following day. Yes. Uh, Clara Neville corrects you on the pronunciation oh, no. of her name. Oh, okay. And agrees to meet with you at Helen with Helen Deacon at the Deacon residence. I apologize to Claire Neville and, and blame my atrocious handwriting. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, so that's arranged for tomorrow, 11 a.m.? Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't get working until like at least 10 Makes sense, especially after the night you just might have right now. Right, I'm about to go to a bar as an alcoholic, so who knows what's about to go down. So you're aware that you need to go to some old post-prohibition bar, yeah. one of these kind of underground spots with a you know with a door with a small slide open yeah. uh, window. And I'm sure with my with my streetwise, I'm going to know all these spots around town. Definitely between your streetwise and your love of the uh, brown liquor, <laughs> the brown liquor, sometimes clear, mostly yeah. brown liquor. So at the third establishment that you go to, you head up to the bartender at the nearest edge of the bar near the door, looking for Mickey Cohen. And he gestures down the bar to an imposing man sitting by himself with a bottle of whiskey and a shot glass. All right, I'll uh, we'll approach, sit down and say, what are you drinking? Can I buy you one? He gives you a look up and down, sees you as the kind of disheveled reprobate he would enjoy sitting at the bar with. Gestures to the bartender, the number one with his finger. And the bartender quickly puts down a second shot glass. Mickey grabs the bottle, fills your shot glass and his. To be an above ground. And he aggressively clinks your shot glass. Right. And, and slurps back, tosses back the I'll brown liquor. Slurp it back as well. And immediately pours two more. Slams it against the bar and fires that one back as well. I'll fire another one back as well. He then returns to the small black and white TV above the bar, showing the horse races. Mickey Cohen, uh, my name is Jack Shepard. I am an investigative reporter looking into the disappearance and reappearance of Helen Deacon. I wondered if I could talk to you for a few minutes. You got me. 
It's my understanding that Bud Baron introduced you to Helen a few weeks ago. Can you tell me about your meeting with her? Yeah, Bud, not exactly the boldest of movers in the organization. He didn't want to get mixed up directly, so he pushed it off on me. You know, everybody needs a Mickey around from time to time. We were working out the details of a trade. I get Whitey's books from the Alegria. In exchange, we do a hit on Whitey and forgive a good nothing father's debts. That's very forthcoming of you. <laughs> As he gives you this tidbit of information, he refills those two shot glasses and kind of looks at you expectantly. I'll slot back another one. All right, and he does the same. All right. He then curses about the horse races on TV. <laughs> Just lost 20 bucks. When did you last see uh, Helen? Last time I saw Helen, I saved her life. Father had to give me a medal. You saved her life? One night, Helen tried to approach Bugsy at the Coconut Grove. I guess she was angry that Bugsy hadn't moved yet on Whitey. Thankfully, I intercepted. Intercepted to do what? That dame was just trying to move too fast, live too fast. If she'd ever talked to Bugsy, that would have been the end of her. That's why I saved her. I know a guy with some memory-stealing moonshine, and maybe she don't remember much now, but keeping her trap shut, make sure she's still alive. Like we can trust you, right? I pour alcohol into both the shot glasses and off her toast. He slaps it back with you. And so you mentioned this uh, 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 memory-erasing moonshine. What happened to Helen after she drank that? So it's my buddy Roy who makes the moonshine. He met my cousin doing a two-year stretch as an accessory to Grand Theft Auto. When he got out, he's been helping us with his garage. What happened to Helen after she drank the moonshine? Listen, I just dropped her off with Roy. That's the last I saw of her. He did the moonshine thing. And then when she couldn't rat on us anymore, he dropped her off downtown. Like I said, I saved her life. She confronted Bugsy, embarrassing him in front of his Hollywood friends. Oh, she would have been snuffed instant. For sure. It was good work. Thank you. I thought so. And with that, he fills the two shot glasses again. Do you know where I could have a chat with Roy? I'd just like to hear from him what happened when, uh, when Helen was with him. Roy got a garage out there in San Bernardino on the edge of the desert. You can't miss it. There's an abandoned oil derrick on the property. Well, I thank him for the information. Raise the glass he just poured liquor into. To saving lives. To saving lives. I think I've got enough liquor in me for the day. <laughs> That'd head home from here, I guess. Right. Yeah. I know. I was thinking that this podcast promotes a bit of drinking and driving with our slowly boozy investigator. There is. Yeah, that's tricky because like, that probably was way more common in the 1940s, right? It is probably wise to make that acknowledgement that, you know, yes, um, we are featuring a character who, you know, drinks too much, smokes. Yeah. And drives after he's drinking, which, of course. you know, is, is not cool. And plays but, a little fast and loose with the law and his own life from time yeah. to time. I think that's the character we've but created. But it's the character, and it's also to an extent the era that it's set in. Yeah, in the 1940s, and it's fiction. Yeah. That works for me. So, you head home. 
you were hungover all day and just had far too many shots of whiskey in short succession. And that problem remains with you. Okay. You are still too hungover carrying into tomorrow and it will have consequences. Alrighty. All right, that's episode two of Mysteries and Madness. This is the director and producer, Dave Colmine, from the future. From the future. I recorded this for the May 2021 remaster. We now have 14 episodes out, and I'm about to mix down the final episodes for our third story arc, The Killer Car. We're having so much fun with this. The universe just expands and refines and... Uh, yeah, I hope you're digging it too. And uh, thanks so much for listening. There's a Patreon and merchandise and a website and a way to get a hold of us. You want to send us any sort of feedback, there's an email address, all the links in the episode description. Reviews matter so much and we so appreciate them. In these early days, we put outtakes at the end of episodes. So there are some outtakes coming up, which is really cool. Uh, we don't do that anymore. We just kind of keep it in the episode. Uh, we don't do the typewriter intro sequences anymore either. So yeah, so things continue to refine and change. The future episodes get a little more buck wild. Myself and my co-host Todd Sullivan sincerely appreciate you listening. Theclubhouse.ca for more about this podcast and for Todd Sullivan's other podcasts. Check out blah, 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 media.com. And that's B-L-A-H. Oh yeah. One of the reasons I'm re-recording this is because I had a cold the first time. So it was super nasally. Uh, I left a little bit of that in before the outtakes come. So uh, here you go. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Peace. Yeah, we're going to keep going. We got one more episode in this arc, the big finale. It's going to be a lot of action and more supernatural stuff going on. Very much looking forward to that. I hope you have an amazing day. Thank you for letting our weird podcast be a part of it. Cheers. <laughs> so let's do a light German accent. Oh, boy. What is a light German accent? Something like this? Something like this. Something like this, okay. But Baron, yeah? But Baron, yeah? But I don't see what... Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now he says Bud Barrett here before between every sentence. Yeah, so. he needs to, or else I lose the accent. <laughs> okay. I do have a voice for this character. Firstly, you gotta push down on your nose so you can't breathe as well. <laughs> now you have Mickey Cohen. How can I help you? I'm Mickey Cohen. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>